coming to you live from the Business Radio X studio in Woodstock, Georgia. This is Fearless Formula with Sharon Klein. I do want to welcome a, a certified financial planner and creator of the Never Broke Again Formula Masterclass. Welcome to the show, Jacqueline Shattuck. Hello. Thank you. I'm excited <laughs> to be here. I appreciate you having me. Of course. And I was doing a little bit of research on your story. What's kind of cool about your story is that you've got um, your mom had had uh, scrimped and saved and had like a big, big, big amount of savings for a while. And when anybody has that, you feel like you've made it. But when there were some financial decisions that were made and not good financial advice given to your mom, that changed. And I can see how that would be really motivating. So can you tell me a little bit about your backstory. Yeah, absolutely. So my backstory is I grew up in Northern California on a thousand acre ranch and kind of long story short, the property was sold out from under us when we lived on it. And um, simultaneously, my grandfather passed. And so my mother received an inheritance of about 1.4 million and um, unfortunately lost all that money within about four years, <gasps> really due to poor financial advice. So, you know, she went to see a financial advisor and he just didn't give her solid information and she ended up you know losing everything that we had and foreclosing on the house that she owned and i had a lot of questions and couldn't find a lot of people that could give answers so i decided to become a person who can give those answers when you first were starting what was what was your path that you were on before this did you know what you wanted to be or do not really. I had grown up thinking I would be a dentist. And then <laughs> I was like, wow, that is a lot of school. Like, <laughs> and I'm not really great at standardized tests. So I could never get better than a 21 on the ACT. And I was like, well, doctorhood is not in the cards for me. So it was a combination of, you know, I was like, I'm not exactly sure what I'm going to do. But also, I see this problem that needs to be filled and so I was learning finance kind of on the side. And I was like, I think I want to do this professionally to be able to help as many people as possible. Well, what I also think is interesting, too, is that my my idea of a financial planner is someone who's an expert. And I don't know that I would have questions about the way they're advising me because this is their specialty. Mm -hmm. So how how would I know if I'm encountering someone similar to what your mom did where it was just bad investments like this just breaks breaks my heart not only that makes me mad mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. i'm sure you were yeah. furious for your mother and your mother was probably furious yeah yeah absolutely so i question a lot about the way that people in our industry are paid and so i've actually traveled I'm not you know i'm not the biggest world traveler but i have traveled the world to go see how other developed nations handle their financial advice and so I think that when you are vetting a financial advisor to potentially work with them, you should see what their scope of experience is and you should see how they get compensated. Right. So this particular advisor, he got compensated on, you know, one percent of the overall like market of opportunities that's out there for you to invest in. And so. Um, you know, the way that we are compensated motivates how we work, right? Like if you work in a sales commission position, you're going to try to sell more. And so I think it's, it's hard to, uh, you know, I don't work on a commission basis. And I think that it's hard to give solid financial guidance when you do that. So I would say, you know, see how your advisor is compensated. See, do they have experience in what you're going through? So if you're experiencing a windfall, 
do they have experience servicing people who have windfalls before, right? If you have kids that you're trying to prep to go to college and become, you know, young, successful adults, do they have experience in that area? And I think that's the biggest thing that you should look for. When you were traveling the world and kind of comparing different ways that we handle our money, what were some surprises that you came across? Surprises. So that was one of the biggest surprises that I found was that, you know, there's a lot of other nations that are on this fee only kind of a structure where your advisor doesn't get paid commissions based on what investment they put you into. Rather, they get paid an overall fee for just giving you guidance. Right. And so I hope I think that that helps you to be more in alignment with your advisor and giving you the best advice possible, because I am a certified financial planner. And one of the things that you do in becoming certified is you take this oath to work in your client's best interest. But I honestly think that, you know, our money has to be aligned with what those interests are and, and works for both parties. So I would just say that's one of the biggest things that I noticed was that other countries had, you know, their advisors in, uh, in alignment with what their clients were wanting. And they do that on a compensation kind of basis. Got it. And um, I also think there's something that I've heard of um, is financial advisor. And then there's a financial planner and they're both different. <laughs> and and I'm, I'm wondering if you can clear that up as well. Yeah, yeah, our industry has so many different nuances and I don't love that for us. But um a lot of times you'll see with an advisor, they will give you advice on different investments, right? So that's really the core that's at the crux of what they're doing is giving you investment advice specifically. Now when you work with a financial planner, they may or may not do investments with you, but they will do planning in terms of Let's look at everything A to Z that touches your personal financial life, right? So everything from your auto insurance to your retirement planning to caring for parents and children to investing. Let's look at all of that underneath your financial plan. So they may or may not handle the investments piece. It's interesting, too, because it's like if you have someone that can give you some advice, you kind of want them to do it for you as well. Like who mm -hmm. is the perfect client for a financial advisor? Mm -hmm. You know, who's a perfect client for a financial planner, you know, mm, that's a good question. So honestly, the ideal client, at least for me, is somebody who really could do most of this on their own. Like if they really wanted to, they could figure out how to get it done, but they just really don't have the time, the desire, you know, or the real expertise. And so that really makes the best client to somebody who's like, okay, I make decent money. Um, you know, I just don't want to spend the time managing it because a lot of times if I come across somebody who maybe has the money to be a client, but they don't have any of the um, other kinds of financial literacy, basic skills, it's very hard to get them to understand why we're doing what we're doing with their money. So the ideal client is somebody who really could do it on their own, I think. Well, that's smart. What? Okay. So imagine I make, uh, let's say I make 50 grand a year. Mm -hmm. Am I, do I have enough, do you think, in order to really start to work with a financial planner who can kind of guide me? Because it seems like a lot, but it really isn't. <laughs> After taxes and everything? We know, we know taxes. Of course, of course, we've all heard the word inflation in the yeah. last year. So. Yeah, really. So um, 50000 is is acceptable, right? So you just have to find the right advisor for you. So there's a couple options. There's the Foundation for Financial Planning, which offers pro bono planning for people who can't afford it. But you also have the Financial Planning Association, which is a nationwide organization here 
stateside and they if you go to their directory you can find advisors that are close to you you can find advisors that will take any you know amount of money right I have uh, financial advisor friends who will start their fee at, as low as 500 or a thousand dollars so as long as you can pay the fee for your financial plan then you can get the guidance that you need so um who is someone that you deal with what's the kind of range that you deal with people what sort of income level because i think that you do pretty well. <laughs> I, mean, I was thinking about this, like how successful you are and you're still fairly young, you know? And so obviously you have skills and you have, um, drive. Um, but I also think there must be like a client that or a client base that you can kind of draw from to be like, Hey, let me help you manage your million dollar estate. Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it makes a lot of sense. So I work primarily for a First generation millionaires, right? So people who don't typically come from a long line of money, of of rich wealth. So <laughs> I, I deal with those people. And so in that, I did create my Never Broke Again formula, which is where I just wrapped up everything that I learned over eight years in the advisory world and I put it into a course. I packaged it up so that people can walk through, learn that information and get it for themselves, right? So that's available for less than a thousand dollars. Right. That's definitely something I wanted to talk about with you because you offer this course, um, online as right. And it's, is it through zoom calls as well? I can't remember like a zoom class. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So after somebody works through the course, they have the opportunity to get on the monthly calls and ask their questions and get their guidance. So, um, how, what do you, how many people do you have in your classes typically? Um, so it really varies. I've had over 130 people come through the course itself. Yeah. And um, just depends. People come, you know, and get what they need, which is what they should do. Mm-hmm. So, you know, anywhere from there may be anywhere from, you know, three or four people on a call to up to, you know, 100. So wow. it just kind of depends on what people need. What are people doing that they are first generation millionaires? <laughs> <laughs> um, to be honest, they have figured out the digital space usually. Really? So um, these people are either in tech or they are entrepreneurs and they have learned how to serve people vastly using the Internet. So creating online community groups, um, you know, just utilizing the Internet to draw more clients and more contracts. That's typically what I'm seeing with entrepreneurs and first generation millionaires. It's really interesting that uh, it almost feels like you don't have to have this major degree from Yale (laughs) <laughs> you know, in order to be successful in a digital world these days. I mean, I was thinking about people like on social media who are influencers and they just have all these followers and they make money and it's not quite passive income, but it mm-hmm. feels like passive income. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm imagining it is a little like if they sponsor some, some they have a sponsor for their content and it's just such a different world than what it used to be, you know, mm-hmm. like my generation. Where you no, <laughs> I, I love that you brought that up because I like to explain that to people all the time. So if you're listening to this and you're maybe thinking, oh, I don't have a financial planner, I don't have the money for that. Um, I like to share with people that, you know, we're no longer in the manufacturing era anymore. You know, we're in the new technological era. So in this new era, you know, we're in the technological era, but we're moving towards the decentralized era where everything will be decentralized, right? Like even right now, this podcast that we're doing, this is decentralized, right? We're not, we didn't have to go through a big, huge medium and all of these hoops and hurdles. We literally can do our own thing. We don't need everybody else's permission. And so I think you're right. We don't have to have the permission of Yale to be successful anymore. And so the sooner that we can get on board with 
moving from the manufacturing era to being in more of the tech space and understanding that we're moving towards decentralized and we have way more power than we used to, it's going to be a much easier money-making tool. What do you think the biggest mistakes that people make are? Do you have a whole list? Mm, I mean, that's a that's a good one is keeping your mindset in the manufacturing era, right? Not being able to move forward and understand that you have a lot more power than you used to. So that's a big error that I see people make in terms of building their first million. Um, aside from that, I see a lot of people, um, they will like read an article online and then they'll try to implement it and it won't be right for them at all. So <laughs> case in point, last year, Roth conversions were super, super popular. They were all the, all the buzz and everybody needed a Roth IRA and everybody needed to put all this money in there. And so Long story short, a Roth conversion is when you take a traditional individual retirement account and you convert it into Roth money. And so when you do that, what you do is you create the opportunity to never have to pay taxes on that money again. The problem is when you do that, you have to pay taxes on it in the year that you do that. And so that may not make the most sense for your financial plan long term. And so it takes, I think, a professional set of eyes looking over things to say, Maybe don't do a Roth conversion this year. Maybe do a Roth conversion three years down when you quit your job and you have low income that year or you have the ability to have more, like something, right? You know what I mean? So I do. having a professional set of eyes can help. So I think that's a big error that people make is they just go online, they see something and they're like, oh, great, that's what I need. And it's not in fact what you need. Mm -hmm. I can imagine um, it's very tricky because tax laws change all the time. Mm -hmm. So there's some new tax laws I saw that apply, I think, to me. Um, can you explain some of the changes that are coming for this next year? Mm -hmm. So specifically with the tax laws, you're right. They do change all of the time. So we've got um, a big sunset that will be coming up in the next couple of years, the end of 2025. And that was set in place by the Trump administration. So that is something to keep aware of. Our tax code will be reverting back to what it was pre-2017. So there's some things that are going to change, some personal exemptions, all of that. And then, of course, with all the COVID relief, we've had a ton of changes to the tax code. And then not to mention uh, student loan forgiveness potentially being on the table. Yeah, that applies to me as well. <laughs> no, but like for the, the average person who isn't um, savvy, I guess, financially savvy naturally, mm -hmm. that's a scary notion. And it really does for myself, put a lot of the onus on my um, person who prepares my taxes every year. And I'm like, um, am I doing this right? Do you need something else? You know, the average person, I don't know how you keep up with, like, what do you think about someone who's trying to do their own taxes on, on like a TurboTax? Mm -hmm. I think it's pretty straightforward. TurboTax is a really great resource. Most of those tax uh, filing softwares are. So you have a difference between tax filing and tax planning. Mm -hmm. And so I think one of the biggest things in being prepared for your taxes is understanding that the tax code was created to benefit entrepreneurs or business owners and people who own real estate. So if you're not happy with the way that your tax bill looks at the end of the year, you need to explore entrepreneurship or business owning and owning real estate. 
because those are the things that are going to give you the biggest tax write-offs, the biggest flexibility in what you owe. And so in filing your taxes, if you are um, W-2 and you have a job and that's the only income that you have, then your taxes are pretty straightforward, right? You just get your 1099, you file your taxes away, and there you go. It's pretty straightforward. But if you are a business owner, you're self-employed, the best piece of advice that I can give you guys is to either find a financial advisor who does some kind of coaching in, in their service or get a business coach so that you can make more income, so that you can feel comfortable paying somebody $700 to give you tax advice and file your taxes mm -hmm. for you. Um, because usually what you see there is a pretty instant ROI, right? So a pretty instant return on investment right. where you paid them $700 and they've paid you, they've saved you three $10,000 in taxes, right? Immediate ROI. Yeah. So that's a really good place to get started if you're wanting to save money on your taxes. Do you find that the, the way the, the real estate industry has been over the last few years, several years, have you seen like a huge increase of people that are buying properties, like you were saying, because I had tried to buy a house for a while and I had so many houses bought from under me because they were like super cheap in a, in a nice area. And I thought, well, I'll just fix it up after a while. But I just got bought out by lots of people who that's their job is mm -hmm. to invest in these kinds of properties and make money. So did you find that increased over the last several years? Yeah, real estate has been interesting. Um, <laughs> it's been interesting. Even for people who are in real estate, yeah. right, it's been interesting. And one of the things that I'll tell you that's been going on is you've got large corporations that have now gotten into residential single family home real estate, which is where you know most of us purchase our homes that we live in. And so it's been interesting to watch the developments there. Um, and it's been even more interesting to watch as they've raised interest rates, which is supposed to deter us from home buying, but you've still got a lot of people buying homes and you got multiple offers on homes. And so even though we are switching from a buyer's market to a seller's market in that space, you have a lot of people who've been sitting on the sidelines, right? And so the interesting thing about real, uh, about interest rates um, in real estate is that with the interest rates, I know a lot of people will be hesitant to purchase a home right now. They're like, wow, interest rates are up. They're around 8%. You know, we had a raise earlier this week. What do I do? And the reality is you kind of have to find the balance, right? That's like everything in life. You got to find that balance of how badly do you want a home and to be building equity and to have that safety and um, everything that comes along with the home ownership. And, you know, how badly do you want to avoid 8% rates? Um, I think that the great thing about interest rates is that nothing is permanent. Nothing is set in stone. So you may buy this house and get this 8% interest rate for 30 years. But if interest rates go back down again, you could refinance and get a lower interest rate. Now, if interest rates go up and we see 20, 30% interest rates again, like we did in the 70s, you're going to be happy that you purchased at eight and eight's not going to be that bad of a, a situation. It'd be amazing. To be yeah. yeah, exactly. So, you know, I have personal friends who have been sitting on the sidelines of home buying since 2015. And, you know, as time's gone on, they just regret it more and more and more. And now I know that we are, um, you know, on this, this cusp of this bubble and this burst and all of this. Um, but some of your home ownership really goes down to your safety and security and how you feel just day to day. Well, I think that's fascinating because I'm not in a position to be able to buy multiple houses, but just my one is like makes me feel secure or mm -hmm. somewhat secure, not 100 mm -hmm. percent. Nothing's 100 percent secure. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so when we talk about like the fearless formula theme, what are some things that kind of have been daunting for you in this industry? Mm, daunting, um, being young, <laughs> <laughs> what you don't get respect <laughs> being young. No, you don't, you don't. And it was funny when I got in, I realized after a little while, I was like, I'm going to be young for a long time <laughs> in this industry, right? Like you're a young financial advisor. If you don't have gray hair, really? So, That's interesting. Mm-hmm, yeah. It's just funny in our industry. Like when, uh, when we, when we're just advisors hanging out and somebody starts to get like real gray hairs that are showing, everybody's like, well, your clients are going to love it. You know, <laughs> it's great for your career. So, um, wow. wow. You know, I don't love that, uh, about the industry, but overall, you know, it's been awesome being able to help as many people as I've been able to help. Um, and being able to give, you know, just free advice and guidance to through the help of podcasts, great podcasts like you guys have here. <laughs> and so. your podcast. We need to do a plug of your podcast. Oh yeah, my Melanin Money Show podcast. Yeah. Okay. So we started we started that a couple years ago. Um, and it was just to get more information out to more people, you know, we're in this really kind, actually think about that, that that's really compassionate and kind to be so giving to people and have such a, um, like an altruistic, like we're all in this together. We're all going to do, you know, try to do the right thing. And I just love that you cared enough to do that. Not everybody does, you know? Thank you. I appreciate it. It's, um, it's been interesting. I think it's, I have a mentorship, right? Where I mentor other financial advisors to build multiple streams of income and grow their practice and their reach. And in that, um, you know, I felt it took me a while to launch it because I felt like it was premature and I felt like I needed to accomplish all of these things and get so much more stuff under my belt before I mentored anybody else. And I realized that when I first got started in the industry, there was a woman who looked like me and I reached out to her. She's only a few years older than me. And I reached out to her and I asked her for mentorship and she turned me down <gasps> and I was so hurt. I felt like it was like the end of the world. And I wasn't going to get any answers and nobody was going to help me. And I just had to figure it out on my own. And so that's basically what I did. But when that happened, I agreed to not do that to other people. So I felt horrible. Yeah. Cause, and I think back on it and it wasn't a her thing, you know, she might've been in a space where she felt like she needed to gather so much more information and didn't have time or space to help anybody. So I said that I was going to vow to try not to do that to anybody. So I've taken a lot of informal mentors over the last four years, but I got to a place where I decided to launch a formal mentorship. And so now I mentor them and in mentoring them, it's just part of just giving back to people and just getting the information out there. And I just don't want people to feel lost is the, is the end goal. It's like, I don't want anybody to feel lost about their finances, where they're supposed to go with their business. None of that. Like, I just don't think we should, you know, we should live in a world like that where we don't care for each other. Well, there's a sense of vulnerability when you're not exactly sure what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And I think about someone like your mom, you know, what, in a sense, such a gift, you know, even Mm -hmm. in a way that, you know, it's an inheritance. It's not like you wanted that to happen, but it did happen. But how horrible, it's almost like a vulture came, you Mm -hmm. know, and took advantage of Mm -hmm. her vulnerability. Yeah, absolutely. It does put you in a vulnerable position. And I understand why the advisory world doesn't have really a a great track record here in the U.S. And it does take a level of vulnerability to come to somebody and say, hey, you know, I maybe don't know exactly what I'm doing or am I doing this right? And so that uh, is why women are known as better planners, better advisors, because if you think about it, men and even women are more likely to be vulnerable with a woman. 
especially men, right? Like they're less likely to come to you and have this testosterone battle with a woman. And so um, I've seen it time and time again really? where, where men are more comfortable talking about finances with a woman. Really? Mm-hmm. How do you feel about that? <laughs> <laughs> it's been interesting. I've actually had clients who come to me and I had one guy in particular, he was like, he's like, I'm not saying that you remind me of my mom, but it's like a warming comfort of like learning from my mom and having my mom guide me. And I was like, I'm going to take it as a compliment. <laughs> I think that's how you mean it. But it's just interesting that, you know, this is how certain people choose to learn. Well, yeah, but it's fa- it's funny. I never really thought about a man versus a woman, you know, just that gender factor in the financial world. So are you... Are you finding, well, I mean, it's wonderful to have someone tell you, you know, you're, you're nurturing in this and you're not judgy, (laughs) making me feel bad. Like, why don't you know this already? But at the same time, um, you know, I would want, I would want someone to trust me no matter, you know, what my gender. And Mm so that comes into play. Do you think often? Um, I don't know necessarily if it, if it really comes into play um, in the selection. I've only had a couple people admit it to me. Oh well, that's that's so. a good point. Maybe so. Maybe that's a nice thing that people are aware that this is not really nice to do, mm-hmm. or you know, shows a side of them that they're not proud of. Well, if you're just joining us, I am speaking with Jacqueline Shattuck. She is a certified pi- financial planner and creator of the Never Broke Again Formula Masterclass. But you call your podcast Millionaire Masterclass, right? It's the Melanin Money Show is the official name of the podcast. And so we have a community group to help support people, which is called the Melanin Millionaires Club. And we're just trying to help as many people get to their first million dollars of net worth as possible. So here in Atlanta, what is the market like here in Atlanta for having, I guess, a draw to to clients? Because I think of us as like a big us, you know, I'm I'm putting myself in there. (laughs) Big Mm -hmm. city, you know, that there's just there's a lot of really um huge industries happening and people involved in these industries. But if you were to go to a different town, can you compare what like maybe a different city would be like or a smaller town? Compare a different city in terms of just advising? Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, So Atlanta's the main city that I've worked out of, but having mentees in different smaller cities, um, you have different like AUM requirements and different um, like problems that you'll solve if you will different financial problems so for example if you go up to chattanooga tennessee the average income is much lower per household so lower income um aum means assets under management so as a financial advisor you probably have a lower assets under management requirement for new clients different financial problems Got it. So if someone is in a smaller town, they still could contact you, though, right, to be able to or you could advise them on someone to contact about um, creating their own really great financial plan. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So most of my clients, my clients are all over the country at this point. Wow. Yeah, they're not they're not all based in Atlanta. And even the ones who are based in Atlanta, we still meet virtually. So that's so cool, though. I mean, you're nationwide. Yeah, it's fun. It's a lot of fun, actually. Um, and the podcast is global, so congratulations! That is exciting. How young should someone um, be to start looking at really being smart with their money? Um, really good question. So, I actually was a professor at Clark for a little while. Um, I didn't I did even know that. Teaching. It's amazing. Yeah, it was fun. It's fun, kind of. Little, I caught a little side gig. 
Um, but it was fun teaching the, the, the freshmen about finances. And I think, honestly, that nobody is ever too young. Um, this question I ask people a lot, and I'll ask you really quickly. What is your first memory of money? So you can think back to the first right. time that you ever thought about money. Like really as, as my own money or just the concept of money? Just like the concept. Man, I was like a little kid because I remember, seriously, I lost four quarters, which was a ton of money when I was maybe like seven. Mm -hmm. And I panicked and I looked everywhere for it because it felt like such a big deal to me um, because I didn't ever have any of my own money. So just the, the notion of how important that is. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Like um, that I knew how important it was, even as a little kid. Mm -hmm. This is a lot of money that I never have of my own and I've lost it. And I did find it. But I remember being very panicked about it, mm -hmm. even as a kid. Yeah. And I love that you shared that. You could think about it so quickly. It's so interesting. <laughs> People have these stories and most of them are from being younger than eight years old. And so with that, we start learning about money very, very early. And so I don't think that it's ever too early to teach or to formally, you know, mentor your children or somebody's children about money. And so with that, I, I share with people that there's um, there's actually an age range in the Never Broke Again formula where I say, hey, depending on what age they are, this these are the things that you should start talking about. These are things they should start learning about, right? So this is the age where you need to open up an account for them. This is the age where you need to add them to your credit card so they can start building credit. And so we talk about all of those things. And so it starts as early as that particular age you know around six or seven because think about it you give the kids a fake little cashier's thing and they have the money and they start counting it and so you know the sooner that we can get our children educated the easier it's going to be do you feel like it should be taught as like a class in high school um financial kind of the financial world i feel like i am um, it's that I didn't get a whole lot of real direction without needing to go look for it. I'm not angry or bitter or any judgment on anyone. I'm just curious if that's something that you think, you know, they used to have home ec in high school and things that are sort of more practical. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think about having a class or teaching high school, being part of our curriculum, high school curriculum? Yeah, so I know there's, I think, around 15 states that are now requiring it. Georgia is one of them. Oh, look at that. Mm -hmm. Did I did I know that? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it should be a nationwide thing, honestly. You know, when I went to Australia and I studied some of their financial system there, they teach them a personal finance class in high school. And in that, I think that it's helpful to give them the grounding and the basis, you know, because their system is also different there. For us, most children are taught, you know, at the end of high school that they need to um, go to college. Everybody needs to go to college. And it's not the same there in Australia. So they will teach children, you know, they can go to trade school or they can go to um, college or they can just go out and get an actual job. And so I think that with that, if we had a personal finance class in school for them, it, it would help make that transition from high school to adulthood easier. I like too that they don't sort of focus on college as being the only way. You know, mm -hmm. There's so many different personalities and strengths that people have that it's it's wonderful to know that you don't really have to be at a disadvantage just because you are not like, well, like you were saying, you don't like taking standardized tests. Not everybody's good at that, but you're probably wicked smart. Clearly you're wicked smart. Mm -hmm. So I'm just saying it's kind of not everybody fits into the mold of what is considered the, the path to yeah. success. Yeah, exactly. And the way that I teach it to my mentees is I teach them that, 
when you work a job and when you don't understand how money works, you and I'm not knocking having a job at all in no way, shape or form. I'm just saying that your brain power and your income will never meet when you're in a job because you're there to do a task. You're there to do whatever that job description was. Right. And so your brain power, you're capable of way more than that. But that's your income from your job because that's what you're doing. So I tell them, I'm like, look, your brain power and your income will never meet the same. So don't ever be frustrated about that. If you want your brain power and your income to meet, then you have to go do things. You have to go have ownership of something that is going to pay you more uh, um, on the same kind of a level as your brain power. I've never heard that. I really need to take that in. Like how many people... Um, focus their day on a job that they don't even really love, right? But you need to make mm-hmm. money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it absolutely. feels very limiting, just naturally mm-hmm. limiting. Yeah, absolutely. And then we just kind of get stuck. And I preach entrepreneurship not because of the money. I actually preach entrepreneurship because you need the ability to be yourself. Like everybody deserves that, right? And in being yourself, you'll also learn everything about you. Right. And being an entrepreneur, you're going to learn so much about yourself. You're going to learn more about yourself than you will about your business. And so I preach entrepreneurship and um, I'm not saying that you have to quit your job and go jump into it full time. But I do advise that people dibble and dabble in it where they can, you know, so that they can get the taste of what that feels like to have that freedom of being your full self, your authentic self. Wow, that's so deep. It's fascinating to me. We're talking numbers and money, but you're really talking about someone's human experience their human experience their vibration right like yeah that's so cool it's i think it's all it's all wrapped up in one at the end of the day right so i wrote the book money planning and positivity during 2020 because i had experienced watching so many people um just lose i'm honestly lose their mind over money Like we've all kind of heard the story where like the stockbroker just quits Wall Street and goes and lives like in Puerto Rico and like (laughs) on the beach and he doesn't do anything. It's because like we're not naturally wired for money. Like we are naturally wired for survival, for interaction, for love. Like those are things we're naturally wired for. We're not naturally wired for money. Right. So I actually encourage as many people as possible. If you can afford to pay a CPA and you can afford to have a financial advisor, you can afford to have this team, have that team. So you're not burdened with having to worry about your money and your finances and where things are going so that you can live a life that you want to love. And I think it, resonates with people so much more since 2020 happened and so many more people were focused on okay what really matters to me Mm. so I think it hits that much harder but that's my recommendation is like let's offload as many things as possible so that we can just live a life that we want to live do you think it's possible for anyone to get there absolutely because I I wonder at what point do you feel like well listen I've I've lived this long (laughs) I don't know how much longer I have but who know like what effect can the next 10 years of really trying to do something before I uh, retire or technically retire? Is that really going to matter? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's realistic and 10 years absolutely matters. You know, I have a client who went from making less than a hundred thousand dollars a year to multiple millions within two years, wow. just by taking that leap from W2 to entrepreneur mm-hmm. and going about it with the assistance of technology. And so 
having seen that happen for multiple people, have that that's happened for multiple clients. I know that it's possible for anybody. Um, and so I think that anybody that's listening to this, I don't want you to ever lose hope or give up. You know, a lot of times what you just need is some strategy. And so I tell people, don't ever go it alone. Find a business coach, find a mentor, find a mastermind, something that is going to help you accelerate that journey to wherever it is you're trying to get financially. What is something that someone could do like today that could make a positive impact on their financial situation? Mm, today, I would say take a look at your credit. Take a look at what you have available to you because if you're going to start investing in yourself, you're going to need money. And so sometimes uh, you just have to borrow that money, right? Like I know I come from the advisory world and we've all heard Dave Ramsey and don't take on debt and don't do this. <laughs> but if there's a mastermind that's $5,000 and it's exactly what you want to do and it's exactly what you're trying to do with your business and this leader has had success doing that, you need to take your credit card out and you need to swipe it for $5,000. You need to be in that program. You need to invest in yourself and you need to learn. And I think that's the biggest thing that somebody can do right at this very moment is to get your credit together because I had six figures worth of credit before I made six figures. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. So yeah, you just kind of got to figure out how that space works and you have the opportunity there to get somebody else's money to change your situation, to make investments in yourself. So that's what I would say. Somebody go check your credit today. So you can go to annualcreditreport.com, print out your credit report, go through everything that you have on there, and then potentially you know, fix whatever's on your report if it's wrong. If nothing is wrong and you just haven't actually built good credit, then it's time for you to start applying for credit cards and building up your credit profile. Dang. That seems like something that's manageable for, for anyone. But, you know, it's fascinating. Money is, is scary to mm -hmm. a lot of people. So mm -hmm. it's kind of perfect for the show, <laughs> the, the fearless <laughs> formula, to be able to try to figure out how to manage the feelings. Because, you know, when there's times where I feel like I'm tighter in my budget, um, I'm a different person for sure. I have a more of a worry, like I don't sleep as well. Sometimes I'll be up at night thinking, okay, well, should I have gotten that thing off Amazon that I didn't officially need? It's that kind of thing. Like it'll haunt me. Mm -hmm. So I find it interesting that, like I said, we're talking about money and we're talking about planning your future in a way that you feel in control. But like money is like the root of almost all the movies we ever watch and all the yeah. bad things that happen in the world, you know, it has yeah. having to do with power and control. But I like that you talk about it from a place of power um, to give you choice, not power to lord over someone, but just for your own personal self. Yeah, absolutely. For for just the opportunities. You know, I say that money is the most important non-natural skill of the 21st century. Right. Like you just explained, we need it for everything. And it dictates our every waking and even sometimes sleeping moments. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so, like I said, it's just really about having the peace of mind. Right. Like it doesn't take a lot. You don't have to be a millionaire to have financial like peace of mind. And you don't have to have all of your debt paid off to have financial peace of mind. But I think that the more understanding of how money works you have and how your money works specifically, I think that the more comfortable people will be. And, um, you know, I want some of our, our rates of depression, suicide, all of those things to come down. And I think a lot of that is rooted in finance. 
Well, I'm so grateful that you came and shared some information about your business and words of wisdom, because that's what I look for all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Jacqueline, for coming in today and just giving us, I don't know, something to hope for. It's like not too late for anyone. No, definitely not. Not too late at all. Well, uh, thank you all again for tuning into Fearless Formula. And this again, this is Sharon Klein reminding you with, with knowledge and understanding, we can all have our own fearless formula. Have a great day.